Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Araminta Show. Everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Casual Chats. I am Patricia, and I'm here with a very special guest. Over the past couple of years, he has been known for doing a massive passion project involving with doing a remake of the 1991 Nintendo Game Boy game, Metroid 2: The Return of Samus. And finally, it has been out online for a bit, called Another Metroid 2 Remake. I have Doctor M64. So, welcome. Uh, hi, thank you very much for inviting me. So I need to know uh, what was your earliest experience with playing video games? Uh, well, that would be the local arcade. Uh, my father used to take me. Um, there was uh, downtown. There was a couple of uh, arcades, and uh, I used to enjoy them a lot. I really sucked at them, but uh, I, I, I do have fond memories of uh, sitting down on the outrun machine and uh, being amazed by the graphics. Um, then again, uh, my first home computer, home uh, console, was uh, the Atari 2600. I did enjoy a lot of that. Later on, Commodore 64, Commodore Amiga, and, well, the rest is history. But uh, yes, the early days were pretty much like many other people. And uh, when did you first get introduced to the Metroid series? Actually, the first one that I actually did enjoy and saw was um, Super Metroid. I was reading a lot about uh, this huge 24 megabit game that's supposed to be revolutionary and huge. For some reason, I didn't pay much attention to it. The screenshots that uh, I saw in the magazines weren't that inviting. Um, but uh, then when the when I did discover emulation, I actually started, started playing some games that I missed from my SNES era. And one of those was Super Metroid. So, once I actually dedicated some time and got into the actual tone of the game, you know, actually playing the game the one, the, playing the game uh, the way the game wants you to play it, it's actually pretty nice. I did enjoy it. Yes, yes, it's a very enjoyable game. When did you decide to start off with uh, doing programming, whether it be for, uh, was it like a, a hobby of yours? Was it for your job? Um, what was... Uh, when did you first start getting introduced to programming? 
Well, that would be when I started getting into the video game development. I did a couple of experiments with multimedia fusion. That was uh, one of the very few options you had, you know, when you were not a programmer at all. Um, then the Mugen engine appeared. It's a fighting game engine that you can actually customize the characters, create characters yourself, and do some scripting to make all of the behaviors of the characters. And that's pretty much a simplified version of our programming. Then Game Maker appeared out of nowhere, and I did a couple of uh, prototypes uh, using the drag and drop interface. Then again, it's programming in a very graphical and intuitive way. But uh, my first really serious project that uh, really some dedication and actually learning was uh, aim drawer. At least uh, the very early version of that. It was based on a platform engine done by someone else. And actually examining the code and seeing how things uh, came together was very educational. Now, out of all the games that are out there, why Metroid 2? Um, well, first of all, I just uh, recently completed Zero Mission. And since I already experienced Super Metroid, there was a void in the middle that I needed to fill. And Metroid 2 wasn't that attractive to me. I, I did manage to get a copy, I mean a cartridge, um, of the original Metroid 2. And even, even playing with the Super Game Boy, the experience wasn't mm, comfortable. It wasn't fun. It didn't occur to me that uh, maybe fun wasn't the intent of the original authors, because in essence, uh, Metroid 2 is pretty much survival horror. But uh, it wasn't comfortable to play. So I wanted to experience something more on the lines of uh, Zero Mission myself. So I thought it would be a fun little project and a nice excuse to remake something. And uh, whatever I was going to be doing, it was going to be better than a 20-year-old Game Boy game. Mm-hmm. That was that was my initial thought. You know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, as ambitious as it turned out to be. Yeah, I mean, I remember years ago when you know people were starting to talk about it. Like it started off with like. You know, a handful of people talking about, oh, there's uh, another Metroid 2 remake. There's a guy who's, you know, doing a game from the ground up. Now, there are a lot of people online who create their own fan games uh, from the ground up. And then there's some people who basically tweak a lot of classic games to make it more playable, as they say. But um, what was the hardest thing to do when doing this huge project? Well... This um, it's a pretty difficult question. It's uh, it's been ten years, and in ten years the project changed quite a lot, and every major phase of the project has its own challenges. Um, at first, getting things to work was quite a challenge. Um, it was actually very helpful to have Zero Mission as a guide because I actually knew what was I actually aiming for uh, regarding game feel physics and all that uh, basic stuff. Um, But actually getting there was really challenging. I actually needed to use emulation and uh, examine frame by frame how many pixels uh, Samus was moving when I actually was, she was uh, running, jumping, and doing her very basic moves. And then trying to replicate that with my very own humble engine. It took a lot of fail and error, but it was a very um, rewarding experience in the end. 
when the project became popular, that this would be about in 2008, I believe it was, um, people actually started to offer help and um, trying to get uh, people motivated to actually um, contribute with more than just one uh, asset. That was pretty challenging too because it's their free time. And uh, they are pretty excited at first, but uh, then the, rest, the interest is uh, pretty much fading away if you are not showing constant pro uh, progress to the people. You know, I wasn't releasing that many demos uh, often. It was challenging to actually um, motivate people for free, you know. In the later stages, when the project actually uh, grew up a lot, the scope of the game grew up, and uh, after the first couple of demos, the the overall quality that I was aiming for for each area has pretty much settled. By that time, there were about four or five beta testers, uh, three or four um, stable graphic artists, a couple of musicians that gave, gave me a hand with a couple of arrangements, and uh, trying to manage all of that time and all of that, those efforts into something that makes sense and uh, we manages to reach an arbitrary deadline was pretty challenging in itself. So by this time, I was already working as a programmer and uh, I did start learning um, about project management. So being able to actually assign tasks with priorities to different people and uh, motivating them to uh, reach certain deadlines was pretty challenging itself, but uh, it was pretty rewarding when everything came out properly. Yeah, I, I definitely. It was very rewarding because I remember when the game first came out, like the one of the demos, and mm -hmm. there was a couple of online people who were talking about it saying like, you know, this is an amazing game and so on and so forth. And I think it started getting even more well-known, the demos at least, until Metroid Other M came out, and then everybody was very disappointed of how that turned out, and then they were talking about, like, how amazing the demo of a Met another Metroid 2 remake came um, was, and how they were hoping that the game would come out soon. Now, when looking... Now, I played the game myself. Um, at the time of this recording, I'm not completely finished with it yet, because... Um, I just finished completing the uh, month dedicated to the three original Nicktoons, and I'm swarmed with completing the Carmen Sandiego retrospective. So, um, oh, nice. Yeah, I am currently at about 14 Metroids. Right now I'm in the, um, the nest where you have to fight three Omega Metroids, so I'm at that part. But anyway, Ooh, nice. Oh, thank you. So, um, were there? Uh, so, I've noticed when you know, looking through the original Metroid Two, and then looking at the, uh, and then looking at another Metroid Two remake. There's a lot of um, changes to the stages, and there's a lot of mini bosses that were added. Like um, instead of like going through tons of caves and uh, going underground, there's. Um, you know, there's the hydro station, there's different nests, there's, um, there's the Chozo temple, there's, there's the transporters, and then we have the other mini-bosses, such as, like, uh, the creature that you fought in Metroid Fusion, and then there was, like, this mechanical boss, and so on and so forth. So, um, what inspirations were you able to get when creating these brand new locations? Well, actually, um... 
It was a more or less liberal interpretation of what the game, the original game, showed. Um, if you take a close look to some of the original maps, um, for example, the hydro station has a, what appears to be a lake on the right side. So um, even if there, if it, there is no water physics at all in uh, Metro 2, but um, the overall place kind of looks like uh, like it's taking place uh, on the water on that part in particular and uh, there is a couple of pipes on the inside so I pretty much extrapolated from that uh, the other areas were it took a little bit more of a imagination but uh, and they actually kind of uh, followed the type of um, assets that uh, these writers were able to produce in that time um, one of the sprite artist is very talented with uh, mechanical assets so if I ask this person to um, create a huge living monster or very um, biological looking textures he would have mixed results um, by focusing on whatever I actually was able to produce properly um, I was actually narrowing the uh, amount of choices that I had for the environmental design but um, I was pretty sure that I was going to be coming up with uh, uh, very good assets uh, to work with. Um, also, it does help a lot to um, have a thematic guideline. Uh, for example, let's uh, imagine that uh, um, the third area is, is about uh, is a factory, for example. We see this... Um, jumping robots and uh, spiky uh, automatons and uh, it gives a vibe that uh, these are not uh, necessarily uh, weapons these look like uh, utility uh, drones so a factory would be a nice um, appropriate setting and from then on we started to think what environment should be where the resources are going to be coming what would be coming from the um Hydro station, for, of course. Um, if there are going to be any minerals, what, uh, where are the minerals are coming from? So we repurposed some of that uh, useless empty caves into a mining station, and so on. So when you actually start make, trying to make sense of uh, the utility of some places, some pieces pretty much fit together alone. And the same would be for the bosses, because, I mean, the only bosses that were in the original Metroid 2 were just the Metroids. And occasionally, you know, you would come across some enemies that you would be fighting along the way. So, um, uh, There is uh, Aragnus. Aragnus appears on the original. He's yes, that, that as just... well. <laughs> but, uh, yes, he, he, does, he does look a little bit more menacing in my version. Yes, he does. <laughs> but it is true that in both of the versions of Metroid 2, the Metroids were the main focus of the game, and they were the main enemies that you had to defeat. Uh -huh. With the process of creating the new bosses as well as refining the bosses that were featured in the game, like, for example, in Metroid 2, the only, you know, the way that you can kill the Metroids off, all the versions of the Metroids were pretty easy. You just have to shoot them with missiles. But in another uh -huh. Metroid 2 remake, there's a weak spot that you have to attack them with, and each and every single one of them is more difficult than the next. And, um, and then, of course, you have uh, more varieties of uh, the bosses, so... What was the process of that? Well, the weak spot in the Metroid that was pretty much a necessity 
Uh, Samus is extremely agile and mobile, being able to actually uh, shoot in eight directions change a lot. So um, you have much more visibility. The screen is actually bigger. So um, you, in a, in a Metroid fight, you pretty much know all the time where your uh, adversary is. So instead of actually uh, focusing, you know, the original was more like uh, trying to master the limited mobility that you have to actually be able to barely land the missiles that you were shooting. Uh, the jumping controls was well, a little bit floaty, and that was quite a challenge to actually uh, aim and shoot. Uh, in this case, it's so easy to aim and it's so easy to shoot in the air that um, the extra challenge to be be more selective with the weak spot on each metroid, and they move very, very fast. Um, besides that, uh, since they are very repetitive in, its, in their nature, especially alpha metroids, they appear everywhere. Uh, most of the challenge also comes from the environment and being confined to a very um, close by cave or f some places with uh, spikes and hazards. That pretty much changes the dynamics, the dynamics of the fight quite a lot. Uh, it was pretty fun to actually use the same old enemies in new ways around the level design. Now, um, another thing that was really interesting when looking at the game again was you added in the intro, similar to um, Fusion, in which it does have a little bit of context of what the story is. Because in Metroid 2, the only way that you can get that was through the manual. And then there was also some additional things that also would tie up to, like, a Zero Mission and then eventually with Super Metroid. And I know, I think that's really um, admirable because it's able to tie it together in, in a case in which, yes, um, even though that this is not an official Nintendo game, it does homage the, the games that came out previously. It makes it feel like a true Nintendo, uh, Metroid game. I was actually very, very careful with every single element of writing and uh, whatever was going to be appearing on the game. So nothing does contradict at all the established Metroid canon. Uh, that actually includes other M, so I actually I do recognize uh, both the Prime and other M as part of the, the saga. And uh, so far, I... It doesn't seem that I actually screwed up anywhere so far, and um, but uh, yes, it, it's uh, I, I I do feel a lot of respect over the continuity, and I it, it's Measure Two is a very defined chapter on that saga. It's a very important, very important events take place on that game, so it's natural that it does tie properly into Super Metroid. Right, right, of course. So, um, the music. The music in Metroid, I, I think I mentioned this on my Twitter once, um, that um, the, the soundtrack of Metroid 2 was one of the definitive keys to why I felt that the game was incredibly forgettable. And uh, the person that you got in charge of doing the music did an amazing job. So, um, what was the process of, you know, trying to redo the music? Well, that person would be me. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, I actually, um, I started being a sound producer before being a programmer. So pretty much the project was born because I was uh, having a hard time finding 
um, customers for my new recording studio. And uh, being alone many hours with uh, the computer in front of you and no internet connections makes you want to experiment stuff. That's pretty much how NCR was born. Lack of customers. So, yeah, it was... There were there's a couple of uh, very notable songs in the original Metro 2. Those are instantly recognizable, but uh, the rest are there's a very heavy re- reuse of the same atmosphere in many of the main uh, areas. So I took the liberty after each area was completed to uh, try playing some uh, existing method music and see which one fitted the overall feel the best. And uh, then I actually proceeded to remix and make a reversion of that uh, particular song to fit the established uh, M2R vibe. It started trying to actually imitate the prime uh, style of sound, but uh, it kind of evolved into its very own thing. It has a tiny bit of personality without feeling too alien. Literally. (laughs) Yes, I I feel that with listening to the soundtrack, I mean, uh, I mentioned this before on my um, Metroid podcast with uh, Jim Bevan and Lily from Dom in the Chapel of Church that whenever I'm doing content... Uh, whether I'm writing a script or I'm editing something, uh, I always listen to Metroid music in the background, whether it be from Super Metroid or Metroid Prime or whatever. And um, more recently, when I was writing the script for the three original Nicktoons month, I was listening to your uh, another Metroid 2 remake soundtrack. And there's a there's quite a few songs that are very well done. And uh, if anybody hasn't checked it out, I would highly recommend that you do. So thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, another thing I was wondering: now, uh, there were a lot of things that were put into this game. Were there were were there any that you sadly had to cut for time constraints, or you felt that it didn't fit in the game? Um, do you remember the small enemies that uh, look like uh, bulls with a white mask on them? Yes. Well, there was supposed to be a huge version of that enemy. Uh, in Area 5, that would be the underwater area. Uh, it would be the standard uh, boss that rushes against you, crashes into a wall, and then you attack it from behind. And um, design-wise, it was a little bit boring, and by the time you actually encounter that boss, you are pretty overpowered. So I couldn't think of many um, interesting design aspects to make the boss unique. So it was scrapped it, there's, there's a basic sprite there that uh, we didn't even bother to animate. Uh, but uh, one of the many reasons why we have uh, many uh, robotic-based enemies is that uh, you can pretty much do whatever you want with them and uh, surprise the player with new stuff. Uh, when you're sticking to biological entities, uh, you're a little bit more limited in what surprises they can actually provide during the fight. So um, that had to be scrapped. And um, besides that, just a couple of minor fixes that uh, were a bit, a bit overlooked. Um, I'm pretty content with whatever, or, or with all the contents that actually made it into the final game. So when you you said that you first found out uh, that it was starting to become popular around 2008, like what was mm-hmm. the first big? Um, you know, instance in which you know another Metroid 2 remake was getting out there to the crowds. Well, one of the comments in the blog 
Uh, there wasn't any forums yet. Uh, it was uh, it was just a blog and uh, many people commenting. Uh, one of the comments I read was uh, game trailers is featuring the as a daily video your intro trailer. Then I went to the game trailer and that was it. It was right there on the right side, and I remember how it, uh, it, it was weird. <laughs> it was it was a really pleasant surprise, but it was so unexpected. So then uh, I did read about uh, my my own project on Destructoid, Kotaku, and some other magazines, and it was overwhelming. People were actually aware of the project, and uh, all I actually showed people was just a small demo with a couple of rooms and uh, one trailer. It was a it was uh, it was very evident. In that moment, that I wasn't the only one that wanted to play Metro 2 with modern mechanics. There was people out there that did want to play the same guy I also want to play. I think one of my favorite ones that I remember was uh, one of the guys who worked at Retro Studios, Benjamin Sprout. He saw, um, I think he saw a demo of another Metroid 2 remake, and then it actually got them thinking about that they actually wanted to do a remake on Metroid 2, but unfortunately it never progressed. But yeah, I think I did remember seeing something like that on game trailers, because um, I've been following game trailers for about about a decade now. I've, I had Brandon Jones, the, uh, the co-founder of game trailers, uh, as a special guest on my podcast a few months ago. And um, nice. yeah, he's a really nice guy, and he's incredible when it comes to game coverage. So yeah, he's, he's great. And um, I, I just, I, I think, you know, as time went on, you know, when online YouTube content creators started to get a hand of the remake uh, demo, uh, then I think more of the information started to spread and people were anticipating it more and more. And it's a funny thing, it, it's actually perfectly serendipitous because um, the day that we were doing the Metroid podcast, we've... Um, th that was when you decided to release the game on the 30th anniversary of Metroid, and I remember everybody just going absolutely crazy over it. I went crazy over it. It's and uh, how did you how how did how did that feel? Fi you know, finally having it released to the public and everybody just going crazy over it. Well, uh, it was very really satisfying. Uh, the first couple of hours are very strange because you. Uh, I actually had to do some file patching uh, on the fly. Uh, one of the testers found that uh, some of the log entries were not triggering, and that was half an hour before the actual release. I had this uh, countdown timer, and um, I had to do some compiling at the last minute. And uh, after I uploaded it and I did publish it, the first couple of minutes, the first couple of hours, when everybody is playing it at the same time, it was relaxing I, I actually was not worried anymore about uh, deadlines or staying late at night uh, coding the last couple of uh, uh, bugs and uh, filling out the last couple of details uh, just relaxed, opened up a, a browser window with Twitch and uh, joined one random player uh, that was pretty surprised that I was showing up and I did enjoy seeing other people play it. Uh, it was really, really peaceful, you know? Yeah, I can and, imagine. Uh, 
it was it was really nice to see people actually enjoying the late contents of the game. I, I actually know how people react to all of the contents up to the, the con, up, up to the same place where the uh, last demo ends. But uh, from that point on, it's a fresh experience for a lot of people, and it was really reassuring. the The new area it was a place that I did design by myself without uh, any explanation from Metro Two, and uh, it does introduce new mechanics to the game and to the franchise. And um, it was nice to see that uh, people played the area the way I actually intended. Uh, they did get lost. <laughs> like, I, like I wanted, it was reassuring, you know. Yeah, definitely. I, I I remember again, you know, everybody was just excited about it, and they were saying like, "This is the true Metroid game." Screw Federation Force or whatever. But yeah, it's it's funny because it's a shame that they don't get excited about Metroid's 30th anniversary compared to, like, Zelda or something like that. It's like, oh, Zelda gets, like, the big orchestrated soundtracks, and they get the huge concerts, and they get, like, you know, Breath of the Wild that's supposed to be a massive game-changer to all the people who love Zelda or, or for Mario or something like that. It's like, or, you know, for any other, or maybe Pokemon or whatever. But, yeah, Metroid was, you know, I mean, it just came and went. And I remember, you know, five years ago when it was cel- when Metro was celebrating its 25th anniversary and I saw this one picture of everyone crowding around to Link and then there's another... And then, and then on one side you have Samus having a tiny little cupcake with a candle <laughs> on it surrounded by a tiny little Metroid, you know, saying happy 25th anniversary. And I tweeted that the moment that it came out because everybody was going crazy over Skyward Sword and nobody was talking about Metroid. And then recently we have, I, I mean, I saw like everybody was going crazy over Breath of the Wild and I saw, I, I retweeted a picture about like, you know, when Samus, uh, Zero Suit Samus steps into the little um, room and there's a Chozo statue there holding a cake and then there's a banner that says happy 30th birthday Samus or, or no, happy 30th birthday Metroid and you know it's like it's it just sucks sometimes to be a Metroid fan because it doesn't get the admiration compared to all the other games but when your game came out everybody was just going crazy online like on Facebook on Twitter on YouTube they were all playing the game. A whole bunch of websites are talking about it. Um, I'm going back into game trailers. Well, n- now they're known as Easy Allies. Uh, they talked about it in their podcast. So, yeah, there was everybody was just really excited about it. So, then again, it was actually really surprising because I actually, I actually kind of expect, expected that uh, Nintendo would actually do something, and uh, just my little game being out on that special date would be just something else to participate in the celebrations. Um, and that's it. I wasn't it wasn't supposed to catch that much attention at all. It was going to be just uh, just like another demo release. Uh, people playing the game, uh, enjoying it, and uh, not be. <laughs> it was uh, it was <laughs> unexpected. Uh, it was a nice surprise, though. What? But it was. It was also disappointing to not see anything from Nintendo officially regarding the anniversary. Yes, and speaking of Nintendo, 
like shortly after everybody started talking about it and it became popular, you know, it was taken down because, you know, the DCMA said that, you know, this was illegal, it wasn't allowed to do that, but, you know, I mean, just, that was a massive disappointment for pretty much everybody because you weren't making money off of it, it, w- it even you said so yourself, you know, this was an unofficial game, support the official release, and still, they just pretty much said no. So, how did that make you feel? Uh, disappointed. Very disappointed. It wasn't mad, it wasn't raging. I actually, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a video explaining the the story about uh, Taxman and uh, these other uh, developers that uh, are now working on the Sonic Mania game. And um, part of me was hopeful I actually thought to myself, what if Nintendo would ever do something like this? Uh, It would be amazing for both the community and uh, themselves, for Metroid Saga also. Just the fact that uh, I actually knew that uh, inevitably uh, DMCA takedown, uh, cease and desist, was actually a very strong possibility. So there was no surprise at all. But uh, part of me actually wanted Nintendo to realize that uh, fans are beneficial to the to their properties. And uh, this is not trying to come with, you know, with, with Metroid 2, actually encourage people to try out the original game. Um, I actually, the goal of the game was, first of all, it was something for myself. Then when people got engaged into helping out, this was something for the people and uh, trying to give Metroid a little bit of attention back. There's, I, I actually heard there's a lot of people revisiting the, the franchise right now because of the game. And that was the main point. And uh, being treated at the same level of somebody that sells drums uh, on a back alley, uh, it was a little disappointing. I don't know. Maybe someday, maybe Nintendo will catch up on the times. Uh, maybe they will realize that the internet exists and uh, YouTube is not uh, as evil as they make it to be. I don't know. Maybe I mean, sometime. Yeah. Maybe I, I, sometime they will make uh, the decision to let m 2 exist and uh, they will realize that we are not hurting the franchise. That's not the intent at all. Of course not. And, you know, there's, there are a lot of stories out there of fans trying to, you know, create original games or fans trying to do original versions of pre-existing games and they're able to succeed very well. Like, for example, you know, Christian Whitehead was a huge fan of Sonic the Hedgehog. And... Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, as time went on, he was called in to do those mobile games for Sonic's uh, 1, 2, and Sonic and & Knuckles, and Sonic 3. And then, eventually, he actually worked for Sega, and now we have Sonic Mania. And yep. a lot of indie games, uh, you know, they just started off as like, you know, we're going to do this in Kickstarter, we're going to release it on Steam. But then all of a sudden, boom, you know, we have it on Xbox One, PS4, Wii U, 3DS, so on and so forth. So... Yeah, I feel that, you know, maybe uh, like 10, 15 years ago, you know, that probably wouldn't have been the case unless you were really, really good and unless you were um, really well known and it just caught on wildfire, like, you know, like on Newgrounds, for example, games such as Super Meat Boy and Castle Crashers, they just started off as like, 
you know, simple little games, and then all of a sudden it just blew up, and everybody was going um, insane over it, and then the indie uh, game craze started coming out, and I think that in a day and age in which we can be able to create things and we can be able to put it out there and people will eventually discover it and maybe they'll get into it. I think that um, with your work, I think with a lot of people, they um, can truly appreciate all the hard work that you were able to put into this Metroid remake. And who knows, maybe someday, you know, a big company will come to say, you know what, Uh, we like what you do. Work for us and see if you can create this game or do this music or do this programming or so on and so forth. <laughs> uh, who knows? Time will tell, and uh, we'll see if that happens. When that happens, if at all. Um, one one thing I actually do enjoy a lot is uh, getting emails from people that uh, tell me that they got inspired by work. Um, not uh, that much about the final contents, uh, what, what the game is actually, but uh, the determination that they see throughout the years on the blog. Um, the, I actually got inspired myself by uh, Pixel, the guy that made Cave Story. And when I did finish that game a long time ago, the translated version, um, then I did find out that that entire game that was... Um, masterpiece in uh, game design in my humble opinion uh, that was done by just a single person in a couple of years so that did inspire me to just not give up and try to make a good game yeah pretty much and there's a lot of games out there that when you look at it I mean it's just amazing about how much of these games can be made by like one or two people like um, you know, for example, a Dustin Legion tale was done by pretty much one guy, and oh, that's an amazing game. Yes, that's an amazing game. It was done by Dean Dodrill, uh, and you know he's gotten some help by like a you know a handful of animators, but for the most part, it was done by mostly him. And you know, for an, another example, would be Undertale, pretty much done by one guy, Toby Fox, and you know he did mm-hmm. get some help, uh, you know, with. You know, maybe, like, some of the art and stuff like that. But pretty much, it was done by him. And, you know, Super Meat Boy, for the most part, done by two guys. So, yeah, it's just amazing about how many games are out there that are done by pretty much either, like, from one to two people or even ten. So, yeah, I mean, even back in, like, the NES days or the SNES days, all these games that we consider to be classics were only done by, like, maybe ten or, you know, maybe, like... 8 to 10 people. You know, one person does the music, a few people do the programming, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's just amazing that, you know, uh, you know, a f- handful of people can make such a massive impact on pop culture. Well, uh, the less people you have in a project, the less uh, creative interference there is. Yeah, exactly. Unless you get along with them really well, and unless you're aware about what you want to add into it, which, you know, of course it's not easy, but... If if it can be done well, it can be done amazingly, and it, the prod and the the product will come out, um, you know, pretty much spectacular. So um, anyway, uh, I guess we can wrap this up. So, what's next for you? Well, right now I'm just um, dissecting MTR into some other project. I'm just taking some of the components that uh, actually work pr- pretty well and starting something new. 
Uh, right now, I'm on the basic stuff, uh, just uh, the very basic systems. But uh, I'm pretty much laying the foundations for future projects right now, just doing some very technic technical and boring stuff at the moment. I have a couple of plans to experiment with uh, some technology that uh, it might or might not work. I have some ideas to do some stuff that uh, um, might be innovative if it actually works. But uh, yeah, it's. I plan to take my sweet time and uh, enjoy it, just like I did with the intro. All right, awesome. So, um, one final word. Um, what does the Metroid series mean to you? Well, um, it's nice to really start appreciating the entire franchise from my project. Uh, back in the day when I started, I actually had played Super Metroid and uh, Zero Mission and uh, discover slowly how the series evolved was pretty nice. Actually, um, actually not so recently got uh, and was able to actually play the, the entire trilogy pretty late but uh, I did enjoy that and uh, you can actually see the influence on M2R it was not it's not that common to see a series that spans through so many console generations to be so um, consistently good and I do have a lot of respect regarding that uh, also, the story continuity is very solid. It's, there's, there's plenty of games uh, that could screw up the continuity. And uh, if we consider other M not canon, um, it's pretty much the case with uh, Metroid. It's very solid. And uh, that's very respectable. Every time that uh, someone picked up uh, the Metroid name to do something with it, you see that there was a lot of respect with the the name and the character. So that's that's admirable. All right. Well, well said. Well, that should be uh, concluding this podcast. Uh, Dr. M64, please plug and promote whatever you want. Um, now on Twitter, uh, it's uh, um, at AM2R Game. There's also the... The official blog that might or might not be updated. I'm actually not sure about uh, um, how the legal standing will be in a couple of days, but uh, it's metroid2remake.blogspot.com. Just ask around and uh, just ask around people that did play the game and you'll find me. All right, great. And that, that should be the end of this episode of Casual Chats. And ho hope that you guys enjoyed it and I hope to see you around soon. Thanks for listening. And thank you very much for the invitation, madam. Um, definitely.